Hey everybody, Jimmy Smith. On today's Unlocking the Cage podcast, I sit down with Josh Emmett to talk about his win at UFC Austin and what's next for him. Also, I answer your questions from the midweek mailbag. Get yours in, utcmailbag at gmail.com. Josh Emmett, UFC featherweight, victorious at UFC Austin. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm great to be here. And uh, how are you guys doing? Doing well, man. Doing well. So can I ask you about the, the frustration? What I just said is every time you've come back to the octagon, you showed incredible timing, incredible power, considering the delays you've had to have considering the time you've had to spend off and, and having to restart every time. You've come back sharp every time, but how is that? How have those delays been? How frustrating has it been to not be able to get that, that run together that you want? Yeah, at the, at the time it was, it was frustrating, but, I, I, man, everything happens for a reason. So I'm like, I, I truly believe in that. Um, yeah, even being frustrated in the past, it's like it all worked out well for me. You know what I mean? So I, I really can't complain when I zoom out and I look out at things. It's like, when one door closes or I don't accomplish something that I really, really wanted, it always leads me to something bigger and better. And, and that's exactly what it did. Like through all the injuries, all the adversity, all the obstacles I've gone through in my life and my MMA career, it, it's, it led me to last, uh, last Saturday, June 18th, uh, against a tough, dangerous opponent. And, uh, yeah, I, I got the job done. And, and I feel like that was for a, a title eliminator spot. I feel yeah. like I'm the number one contender and I, man, I, 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 I want to fight who, 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 who wins the featherweight title uh, July 2nd, that's for sure. So when you're getting ready for a guy like Calvin Cater, who is got to bring a lunchbox, right? Like he just throws a lot of punches. He can take a ton of damage. Um, what's it like getting ready for a guy like that? Is it exciting knowing, man, I'm going to walk through hell to beat this guy? Is that a, like a, does that charge you up in camp? Yeah, no, definitely charges me up. I, I respect all my opponents. I respect everyone that just gets in the octagon and fights. Uh, but but Calvin, you know, look at the guys he's fought. Look at the guys he's beat. Um, uh, he, yeah, he, he definitely made me a better fighter. He, he made me work my ass off um, even more because I knew how dangerous he was going to be. I knew how durable and tough he was going to be. And, and it, it made me a, a better fighter. Like every, every opponent I fight makes me a better fighter because I, I literally <laughs> – I work so hard because I want to outwork them. I want, I want the fight to be easy. So my coaches and myself, we push my body to the absolute brink and then we bust through a wall and keep on going. So it makes the fight look easy. And, and, you know, it's just a, we did it again, you know, and, and we're so close to uh, accomplishing my ultimate goal. Uh, speaking, of course, to Josh Emmett, victorious UFC Austin last Saturday over Calvin Cater in the main event. Were there any surprises during the fight itself um, that maybe you didn't expect in camp or didn't expect from him or didn't, shots you didn't expect him to take? Were there any surprises in that fight? No, not not really. I, I feel like I was so well prepared and so well conditioned and, you know, everything was everything was on. It's uh, I, I guess if I was surprised, like, I did hit him with some hard shots and, and sometimes like, I, I guess that would be the only like surprise, you know, I was like, I hit him with some hard shots and he was still coming forward. Uh, sometimes he had to reset. I know I heard him and he would reset. I could kind of see it in his eyes and then he'd get back in the mix, back in the fight. Um, but, but I knew that kind of going in, but that, that was, 
you know, the only surprising factor because it's like, I, I, I know it's, it's different. And my coaches say it all the time. They're like, once they feel your power, that they have to respect it. They, they, they have to respect it. And I think we saw that in the fight. Like he has a great jab. He's long. I knew he was going to be, you know, you know, just pawn that jab out there, but it was at no point did, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll take 25 of those jabs to land one punch, you know, I'll take a hundred to land one. And, um, yeah, but really no surprises. Um, a five-rounder. Your first in the UFC. You hadn't been five rounds since, I think, 2014. Earlier on in your career, I know you had a five-rounder, but the first one in the UFC, did that change the camp? Did that change your pacing? Did that change the fight itself at all to you? No. I, 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 I trained for a five-round fight. Uh, every every fight every camp because I know it's just inevitable you know I, I was a, a lightweight champion on a regional scene I had two um, five round fights scheduled I've never gone the absolute distance I think I finished one in the third and then one in the fourth or fifth um, and then I you know of course I had the the main event slot in the UFC but I, I can go I, I could have won another five or ten rounds at that pace you know I think I looked I I, tell, I usually get my second win or if there even was one I I looked the same in the fifth as I did in the first, besides obviously the, the little bit of the cut and the little bit of a blood uh, coming from that cut. So uh, I was about to ask about that. The cut, the eye, the swelling, all that stuff. Was that ever a concern in the fight? A lot of times you're seeing a guy kind of in 2D, right? You look at him through one eye. Uh, was that ever a concern during the fight for you? Or when they looked at it that it might be a stoppage type thing, was it ever a concern? Oh, yeah, that, that's always, like, worrisome to me. It's like, man, and, and this is what I say, too. It's like I I'm, I have such, like, a light complexion. It's like you look at any of my fights, once I once I get hit, my whole face turns, like, red. And then I have so <laughs> many, like, I've, I've, cut my, I've cut myself so many times. I have all these scars and scar tissue. So that, that cut, it, I've had it. Oh, it just opened up. It was, it was a thing I had stitched up a long time ago. And so it opened up and then it just got bigger, you know, as the fight went on. But it's like, man, I, that's why we don't, we don't score fights based on how you look. Cause man, then I'll lose every single fight because I, I get touched. I'm like, I said, I'm, I'm red. Uh, I, I swell easy, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, but no, no concern at all. Like I, I, yeah, of course, when the doctor's coming in, I'm like, Oh no, I'm like, I'm good. I'm yeah. good. And he's like, no, I need to look at your eye. I'm like, no, I'm good. And he's like, I have to look at your eye. And then <laughs> I have to do so, yeah, my job, is, dude. Right. That is that is scary, and then it's like, yeah, my eye. I think from uh, I think he landed an uppercut. It hit me like you know how it 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 hit me right in the eyeball. I felt his knuckle into my yes. eye. It didn't the the orbital or the bone didn't like it didn't stop that punch at all. It was just all eyeball. So I think that was in like the second. So yeah, my my vision was blurred for the whole fight. Like it was just it was look I was looking through like a dirty glass of yellow water. It was just like this on my left eye. It was just. But it is what it is. I'm not. I'm not going to stop. I, I got one eye, so let's let's keep on fighting. We're getting our hand raised. Speaking of, uh, of course, Josh Emmett, successful last Saturday at UFC Austin over Calvin Cater. Uh, I want to discuss that for a second because I hear that all the time. Like, oh, we'll just look at the other guy's face, and I'm like, two things. Number one, some guys just cut easily. They're messy bleeders, or you know, whatever. They get hit once, and their face just explodes. Number two, that can all be done in one round. So, yeah, you lost a round, and it messes your face up, and you beat the guy up for the next four rounds. You know what I mean? Like, oh, look at the guy's face at the end. I was like, that's not the story of the fight. How frustrating is it to hear that? Because I know it frustrates me. I'm like, it doesn't tell the story yeah. of the fight. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is frustrating, but at the, at the end of the day, it's just like people – 
whoever's rooting for me, they're going to say I won no matter what. Whoever, you know, whoever's rooting for him or fans of Calvin, they're going to say the same thing. So it's like, it, it is frustrating when you see all this, these things and it's like, these people don't know what they're talking about. I'm like, or they're like saying negative things on your, you know, social media or all these comments. I'm like, man, are you all right? Cause like, if you got something going on, if you're going to go on there and you're just writing all this negative shit on people's stuff, but you know, I, I, I can't complain. I, I thought I won four rounds. I, I thought it was four to one. And I told my coaches, I said, Hey, let's give them another round at the end of the day. Even if we do that, three to two, I, I, it's still a unanimous decision. I, I feel like our strike count was pretty significant. I mean, pretty similar. He was just landing jabs that didn't – he has a good jab, but it didn't do yeah. anything to me. I would just walk forward. I was landing bigger power shots. I hit him. I was going to the body hard. I was going to the head hard. I was moving him like a few feet every time I would hit him. I would move him. He'd hit me with the jab. I'm coming forward. You know, it, it did nothing to me. Um so, yeah, at the end of the day, I, I got the job done. I, I went out there to do what I was going to do. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm on to the next one. But I have nothing but the utmost respect for Calvin Cater, his, his teammates, and, and coaches. So let's talk about your future and what's going on right now in the 145-pound division because it's very much in flux. We're seeing the trilogy fight, Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky, you have the inside track right now for the winner of that fight. You're the new blood. You're coming off a very, very big win. You're on a great streak. Right now it's five in a row. Uh, when I look at it that way, you probably get the winner. Dana White said if, if Alexander Volkanovsky wins and wants to move up, I'll let him. That would mean probably you and Max Holloway. But do you have a, a horse in that race? Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky, who would you rather, assuming you take on the winner, who would you rather it be? Do you have a favorite? Yeah, I, I usually don't care, like, who wins just because it's, you know, we're all trying to achieve the same thing. Um, but right now it's, it's hard for me to go against the champion. It's hard to go against someone on a 20-plus fight winning streak, someone that's beat, that's undefeated in the UFC, that beat some arguably some of the greats of all time. Like, I, I so I'm leaning towards Volkanovski getting it done again, but Holloway's a phenomenal fighter. Like, he continues to get better and better, and look at his resume as well. Um, but I do want the best. And I think Alexander Volkanovsky is the best at the moment. Like, um, because he will bring out the best in me, both of them will, but I'm just saying if he's the goat of the featherweight division, if he solidifies, uh, this third victory over Max Holloway, I want that because I want the best of the best so I can show the world how great I am. So the the other way to look at it is, of course, Max Holloway, who a ton of volume, a ton of range. You know exactly, much like Calvin Cater in a sense, where he just he's he's a he's a rangy tall guy who throws a lot. Um, let's say he beats Alexander Volkanovsky, get a shot at him. What are your thoughts on on his abilities, his ranking all time at one forty five? What what would that fight mean to you? Yeah, it'd mean the world to me. You know, he he was arguably one of the best featherweights of all time as well, and. uh and I, I, I fought every everybody in on like the regional scene that I fought. Everyone in my UFC career, everyone's taller than me. So there's no, you know, I don't know how tall Max is, five eleven, six foot. That's been like the average height of everyone that I fight. You know, I was fighting at one fifty five, so I fought people from, you know, the average height of five ten all the way up to six four. So um, I would actually have a longer reach than Max. I have long arms for being short. So I would have a longer reach than Max. He he does have a gas tank for days, and his 
his volume and output is on another level. But I continue to surprise people. I know what I can do. I won't gas. I can match or beat anybody's um, endurance. You know what I mean? And I think I just showed that in my last five-round fight. Uh, but I, I can do so. And, and I can have a yeah, – uh, my output once I get into, like, I don't know, it's just all, almost like autopilot. Once I just start going, it's like I can have a high output, but it also comes with a lot of power. And, and like I said, my endurance, I can go for days. So, um, yeah, it would, be a, it would be a great fight either way. I just – I want the winner of uh, the July 2nd fight. Will you be there? Yes. Yeah, I'm going to be sitting cage side, staying at said. Very much appreciate it, man. You're on a great streak. You're always a ton of fun to watch. Thank you so much. I know you got a busy week for making time for us. Josh Emmett, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much, bud. Cool. Thanks again, Jimmy. You guys have a good one. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. UTC Midweek Mailbag UTC Mailbag at gmail.com is where you send your questions KOB goes through all of them digging out the gems seeing what the best way to go is before giving them to me KOB it is yours let me know you've got mail alright this first one comes from Kirk from oh he's North laughing Carolina. already it must somehow well, insult me this go is ahead. also a very important question it says uh, hey gang hope everyone is doing well my first question is, how did Kelly treat Emmett when he called in? Did she brush him off directly to you, Jimmy? Second, did she actually make the call, or did the intern make the call? Well, here's what happened. First off, on Zoom, it got frosty. Like, literally, it, it hazed over because Kelly was like, hello, Josh. And Josh was super nice, and then Kelly was like, all right, we're on in 15 seconds. Ice cold. Ice queen. She Really? No, Kel? No? I thought you'd be the ice queen. No? No, I was very nice because I'm a professional. And okay. I actually think I Josh Emmett's like. fantastic. He's a great dude. He's, great. He's very nice. And I actually always root for him other than last Saturday because he was going against Calvin Cater. And I think that's completely reasonable. But I was very okay. nice to him. Good guy. Now you know. Okay, she can be a pro. He, he also asked, since Justin lost and Cater lost, who is she going to jinx now? I mean, make Mr. Kelly Murphy now. Can I say creepy hate? Someone yeah. DM me this, too. I, I was going through my message requests on Instagram, and someone was like, wow, first Gaethje, now Cater, Dillashaw's next, isn't he? TJ like, Dillashaw. Stop with that. We've, we've oh. proved that theory wrong, and we're not going back. Yes. Oh, I know. Right, Kelly Kell? Not cool. Not cool at all. No. Be more convincing right. than that. All right. Cool. Is there a question for me somewhere there, or is it just about Kelly and her hate? Well, I thought that was a very important one that we needed to get out of the way right off the it, bat. It was. Consider. It was kind of important. It was kind of important one. It is. Okay, now, now we'll get back to the questions for you, okay. sir. Gotcha. Mail, motherfucker. All right. This one comes from Rick in Seattle who says, hey, Jimmy, you've been commentating in WWE for over a year now. You even got yes. to commentate a Stone Cold Steve Austin match at WrestleMania. Yes. Is there still a dream match for WWE that you're praying you're on the call for? Wow. That is. I've yet to call a Cena match. I've yet to call a Cena. He came back uh, on a card I called. But uh, the time Cena has come back, he's taken on Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns is SmackDown. I don't call SmackDown matches. I only call Raw matches. 
So I've yet to call a Cena match. And I was, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. When we have a live show, a live Monday Night Raw, people don't necessarily know this. After TV is done, there's usually a main event for the house. So we call it house main event, right? So um, Cena did one. And it was a tag match with um, Riddle. It was John Cena and Riddle versus um, Mason T-Bar. And I stuck around. First time I've ever done this. I stuck around for the I just sat in my commentary chair and watched it. And to watch Cena work, and I don't just mean what a fan sees. I'm close enough to, like, hear what they're saying to each other and, and figure out, like, when you know, the way he's working out a match. It is brilliant. Brilliant. The way he knows how to hold tension and release it at exactly the right time. It's almost like a comedian knows when to hit the punchline and make everybody go nuts. Cena is the master of that. And not just from what I observed in that one match, was the only one I've, I, I've, I've you know, stuck around and we'll see live, you know, close to the ring. Um, other uh, superstars and performers have told me that. You know, John Cena is the master of how to make a... How to make a a how to make how to get the most emotion out of a match? John Cena is amazing at that. So that is one I would really like to call um, would be John Cena's comeback. And Kelly would lose her mind. By the way, that would be it for Kelly Kell. If I she actually might res- be like, oh my god, Jimmy's okay. He actually called the John Cena match. Like that would I might get a little shine. I might get a little rub from that. Probably not, but maybe it's a possibility. Okay, next message. All right, next up, this comes from Mark in New Jersey, who says, Hey, Jimmy, uh, what do you think the ceiling is for Kevin Holland after his performance at UFC Austin? I am not sold on, um, I'm not sold on, on Kevin Holland. Not, I'm, I'm not saying he's not a bad fighter. I'm not saying he's not entertaining, any of these things. The issue I have is, when I look at the welterweight division, okay, let, let me see who I would put ahead of of. of Kevin Holland right now in the welterweight division. Our champ is Kamar Usman. Number one is Colby Covington. Great wrestler. Just takes him down ad nauseum. Leon Edwards. Really nice hands and much more experience. Kamzat Shemaev. Takes him down ad nauseum. Gilbert Burns. Uh, a little too well-rounded for him, especially on the ground. He's an absolute murderer. Bilal Muhammad. Once again, the grappling's a little too much. Vicente Luque at number six. I don't think he outstrikes Vicente Luque. Maybe Steven Thompson at seven. Because Steven Thompson has really lost a step in his last couple fights. I hate to say it, but he's the only one I see that could maybe Kevin Holland could get past. Number eight, Jorge Masvidal, maybe. Number nine, Sean Brady, no. I'm really bullish on Sean Brady. Neil Magny at number 10, Michael Chiesa at number 11, no. Those guys just grapple a bit too much. He could crack into the top 15. The top 10 is either really versatile strikers really versatile strikers who can do a lot more than Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland's a great puncher, can't do that much, who are more versatile like Vicente Luque, or guys that just have better grappling and would take him down, take him down, take him down. That was his ceiling at 185. The problem with that ceiling at 185 is 170 is full of better wrestlers and better grapplers. I don't see right now, because he beat somebody with a Bravo choke last time out, um, that he has the ground game or the jiu-jitsu game to deal with consistent wrestling. And that's going to be the problem. You know what I mean? 
Um, I So I see him maybe beating two guys, and that's number seven, Stephen Thompson, number eight, Jorge Masvidal, um, in the top ten. Even in the top 11. Michael Chiesa goes for the takedown ad nauseum. Neil Magny's too well-rounded. That's about it, KOB. Am I out of my mind here? I just don't see a lot of winnable fights in the top 10. I mean, you never know, but no, I'm kind of with you based on the rundown you just gave. I, I, yes. I don't see a lot there either. Not without like really shoring up that wrestling defense. And, and, and that's a huge problem. Is the, the, the wrestling defense just isn't, isn't there, and it's a division full of them. Absolutely full of them. And when I look at that, um, that's what gives me hesitation about his success. You know what I mean? Um, so that Kevin Holland is has a ways to go, and he has a few few more fights. Right now, the top ten really difficult for him. We'll have to see a lot more in his next fight. Next, answer my question. Some more UFC Austin's uh, house cleaning here. Uh, this Love comes it. From Chris in South Carolina, who says, "Hey Jimmy, true or false? Adrian Yanez is a champion before his career is over." I'm sorry. Say that again. True or false? Adrian Yanez is a UFC champion before his career is over. That's a bold statement. That is a very bold statement. Part of the reason it is so bold is not just the performance last Saturday. Okay, good stuff. Got an excellent knockout. And, of course, the double bird knockout is always something impressive. Um, Excellent win on the main card. He's in the freaking bantamweight division. That division is tough. Now, Yanez has yet to lose in his UFC career. Came in through the Contender Series, for people that don't know. Um, a knockout his last time out. I already mentioned that. Um, only one decision so far since making the leap to the UFC. The guy's a great finisher. The problem is that division is turbo. It is really, really good. He's 28 years old. He's right in his physical prime. I, If you gave me $100 and said bet on him being a, a champ before his career is out, I, the, the safe money is no. The safe bet is no. And just when you think about it, whenever somebody says, is this person a champ before the end of their career, the safe bet is no. Very few people become champions of the UFC. I don't care how well you start out. Nothing. It's just It just is what it is. Very few people become champion. At 135, which is full of veterans who are absolutely amazing, the smart money would say no, right? It's just no. Could he? Yes, he could. The smart money says no. So right now, I would say no. If he gets one of those highlight performances against, I don't know, a top 10 guy, then all right. If you come in and knock a dude's block off and, and he's in the top 10, sure. Before that, I mean, Tony Kelly, Davey Grant, Randy Costa, Gustavo Lopez, Victor Rodriguez, okay, good deal. Supposed to beat those guys. And he's done it in dramatic fashion. he got to beat the top 10 guy in dramatic fashion for me to be all in, right? So, uh, next. Message. All right, this comes from Ryan in Wisconsin who says, Hey, Jimmy, after a close fight between Cater and Emmett and a questionable scoring on some of the rounds, it feels like open scoring is still desperately needed. Do you think the UFC will ever take a chance on it? And should other promotions add it to their fight cards to try to get one over on the UFC? The PFL has a million other stats showing every fight, so you would think they would be all about it. <laughs> right, well, well, Invicta already did it. And I was there when they did open scoring. Everyone seemed to like it. It got positive reviews from everybody. The way it worked there, by the way, is the corners knew the score. Whether or not they told the fighter was up to them. 
So some fighters, I'm sure, don't want to know. And it said beforehand, don't tell me or whatever. Um, I don't get why we, and I mean we, meaning combat sports, is the only major sport where you don't know if you're winning or losing. Um, so, yes, I don't know why PFL doesn't get behind because PFL does get run a bun- bunch of, of – of, of, um, does run a bunch of things that are um, visually distracting. Kelly, we were united on this one. Last time we were like we were texting while watching, was like, I don't need the strike count done while I am watching the show. They had all these bars and graphics, and and I. It's I don't too know much. if it's it, recently either, but on top of that, oh. they've added a sound effect every time they flash a new stat on the screen. And I'm oh like, God, oh, do they? Oh my God, my brain is exploding. Because I muted it. Yeah, and every time something pops up, a sound effect hits, and it makes my brain, like, melt. And you are, uh, you know, you're of the the 50-second, 15-second, you know, attention span generation. You know, you are of the TikTok generation. I'm not saying that's you, but I'm saying, like, if this is appealing toward, oh, the the young kids that always want stats and da-da-da-da-da, that's you, right? And yet you're like, no. You it's know what much. I mean? You're like I don't mind stats at the end of a round, but when every when the strike count is going up after every single punch is thrown, I'm all set. Like I have a roundabout in my head of where things are at. I don't need to see it strike by strike. Yeah, yeah. It's like Jesus. I don't need that. It's visually distracting. It takes away from the fight. And stat. This is not also, as far as I'm concerned, this isn't a stat sport. This isn't baseball. This isn't football. This is, it's not st- stat-driven. Significant strikes. And as we said, significant strikes is apparently everything. So what difference does it make? It's not power punches. It's not any the judges don't see this stuff. So it, it, it's an out. You know, it's, it's, it's not the outline of it. It's not like an outline of the judging. It's just more information that we don't need. And since the judges don't see it, who cares? So I, I definitely agree. So why hasn't P- PFL gotten on the open scoring bandwagon? I don't know, but they should. I think it's a very good idea for the whole sport. I think it's going to be like challenge flags in the NFL. I'm old enough to remember when they didn't do that. Oh, my God, challenge flags, and then you're, you're saying the referees aren't good? No. Like, we all got adjusted to it, and we, we wonder how it didn't happen earlier. Same thing once it happens. KOB, next. Mail, motherfucker. All right, this comes from Anthony in Long Island, who says, Hey, Jimmy, in reaction to your discussion about Camaro and GSP and who the GOAT of the division is, what makes it harder for fighters today to overtake the big names of the boom period? Is it the nature of taking longer in a career to get a title shot or the romanticism we have for the past success of some of the sports icons? Uh, There is an emotional side to it. I think it's more about, like, in boxing. It's, It's a real issue in boxing. Where what I what I heard and I completely agree with this is I saw like a top 100 whenever it was, and it was we tend to underrate boxers of our own era, like you know uh, Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Robinson. It was all like the whole top 10, a lot of the top 10 Muhammad Ali were boxers of previous eras, and we tend to underrate the Roy Jones Juniors of the world, the people that were in our era, or, or an era right before, it's like the old-timers were always better. Old-timers are always better than the ones now. MMA, I think, is usually kind of the other way around, in that we tend to see, see fighters now as fighters that were before the boom era or during the boom era. 
schedule is a big deal. And when you got your opportunity is a big deal. The reason we kind of think all the older fighters are better is the older fighters got were able to start their, their, their title runs earlier than fighters now. I've said this over and over. Anderson Silva, his second fight in the UFC was for a title, and he won it. So his, his run was just really, really long. And it was kind of like next fighter up got, got the title shot. So they tended to fight more regularly. It wasn't like, oh, is this fighter big enough for a pay-per-view? No, okay, Talos Latis, fine. Damian Maya, fine. Okay, I don't know if either one of those guys get a title shot in the modern era. They kind of wait until there's a bigger fight to make, okay? When I look at it now, that run really means something. Because how do you define greatness? A lot of times it's title defenses. Well, fighters back in the day just had more title defenses because they started earlier. So I think that's, I don't think it's an emotional thing. I think it's a numbers thing. When you don't get a UFC title fight until your ninth fight in the UFC, you're not going to catch somebody who got one in their second or third fight. It's not going to happen. So I think it's more numbers than emotion. Next. Answer my question. All right, this will be our last one of the day. It's a bit of a twofer. Uh, this comes from Nick in Maine, who says, Hey, gang, uh, was Vince McMahon showing up at SmackDown and Raw amid allegations, the Vince McMahoniest thing ever? And also, uh, which wrestlers are you friendliest with backstage? Okay, was it, is he, has he come back? Was that, did I catch the first part of it? The, the showing up at, uh, at SmackDown and then, what was it, Raw 2? Oh, is he saying him showing up is the Vinciest yeah, thing like ever? The, the yeah, the Vinciest thing ever amid allegations. It is yeah. kind of the Vinciest thing ever, yes. Yeah, came out, was like, addressed the crowd, and then and then left. He did it at SmackDown and Raw, for people who didn't see it. He did it uh, last Monday as well. Yes, it is the Vinciest thing ever. But who am I friendliest with backstage? Everybody's friendly. Everybody is really, really nice. Who am I friendliest with? Um, Edge is... A great guy, and I'm, I've been fortunate enough. It seems like every time I go to get coffee, um, it would – every time I go to get coffee or do something where I'm reading, I always run into Edge. We always have, like, an amazing conversation about the business or his history or, or whatever. Edge is fantastic. Finn Balor, very, very friendly guy. We've had some great conversations. I'm very close with MVP. Uh, he's also a Baja Gracie brown belt, by the way. So we always discuss fighting and grappling and all this stuff. MVP is great. Obviously, Bobby Lashley. I um, called his fights in Bellator, so we're very, very friendly. Those are the people I am close-est with that we sit down and tend to have conversations in the back or whatever. Um, our truth is a great guy. It, it's, it's hard for me to pick out the friendly-est because everybody's really friendly. And I didn't necessarily expect that coming in from a totally different world. They have been fantastic, but those are the ones I'm friendliest with. So don't get jealous, Kelly, about Finn Balor and I saying hi and hanging out. I know, I know it bothers you a little bit. It's okay. Really nice guy. He's absolutely, he's absolutely great. Really sweetheart. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.